I don't think we consider relationships uh, very often. I don't think we perhaps uh, look at the relationships we have with our children or spouse or parents or peers and analyse, like, how are we actually going in our relationships? How much time am I spending at my in-law's house? Is it too much? Perhaps. But how is our relationship with God, more importantly? Not just for the two hours of of a Sunday morning or or our small groups or youth groups or kids clubs, but over the week and a Wednesday afternoon and a Friday night and a Monday morning, what does our relationship look like? Seeing through God's eyes is, is not knowing everything there is to know about, about God. It's not understanding the way he understands everything. That's impossible, you know. That's impossible for us. There used to be a show called uh, Undercover Boss. Um, I think it was just American. Uh, I'm not sure, but generally they were they were large companies with lots of employees um, who wouldn't know that probably who the CEO is or the, the the owner of the company, and they would put you know makeup on and all that stuff, and and they would head to the front line, you know, from their office and. Uh, they'd be the delivery driver or serving the customers in the fast food outlet. And most of the time, over that experience, what the, 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 the undercover boss would appreciate and come to understand is, is, is what it actually is like to do that job. The difficulties of everyday life in that role. And a lot of the times I noticed that the, the undercover boss would um, be impacted in a way that would go back to the executive level um, and change the way that they would communicate and make decisions based on their experience of what it's actually like in the front line. So seeing through God's eyes is to grasp something of who God is, to, to see other people the way God sees people. To look at, look at God's creation the way that God sees his creation. To, to give generously like the way God gives so generously and, and freely and constantly and lovingly. And the more that we see through God's eyes and his perception on people and his view of thinking and seeing, the more we shall become like him. The more we see through God's eyes, the more we should be driven to have a, a life of humility and a life of prayer. The, the book of Isaiah is much more than just a historical book, as you'd be well aware. Learning a history in class all those years ago, history was very much about uh, who won the war, uh, what date it was, who was the king? All these questions you had to remember because when the exam came, they were the sort of things you had to remember. And history, for me, uh, was very much academic. Not so much impacting me as a 15, 16-year-old in high school on my life right now. <laughs> 
But if all we, as we've been studying Isaiah and continue to do so for the rest of this year at least, if all we get out of it is a, a better understanding of who was king of Israel and Judah and uh, who, uh, who attacked them and when it happened, and we have this wonderful knowledge of timetables and we've wasted a lot of time in 2021. And I certainly hope we haven't missed the mark both before and today and into the coming months. The theme that comes through Isaiah is is this theme that God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing and he is greater than any king, greater than any enemy of the people of, of Israel and Judah and he is sovereign over all things. And so the question is asked of God's people, where will you place your faith and trust? Same question for you today, isn't it? Where would you place your faith and trust? Will it continue to be in the policies and the rules taught by people, created beings? Or will you turn to God for forgiveness and trust him with your life? Will you continue to do what seems to look good and it sounds good but it's just meaningless. It's not genuine. Will you continue to do that or be a humble people and recognise your need for God to lead and direct? After all, these are God's chosen people. And he has a purpose for his people. Yet his people, the Lord says, come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. A wise old man said to me recently, actually, you know, the two things haven't changed. One is God is the same and the heart of the human race is the same. Excluding the the five years that Rachel and I spent from 2007 to 2011 um, at Edge Church in Doncaster, uh, I've been part of this church and this church community for around 26 years. I was quite young and small when I came here and I have, uh, I ashamedly admit a number of times through my life journey of coming to church and physically being here but not really, not really being here. Of singing songs and maybe even playing violin and talking to people. And wandering back out to the car. And it was just a thing that I did on Sundays. (laughs) A couple of hours of habit. Following the expectations and rules and practices of a Christian. And as I thought about that, 
it, it, it tells me that the reality of Isaiah 29 is actually not that far from the reality of Montmorency 2021. Last week, Garth spoke to us from uh, chapter 28 and it was the demise of the northern tri- ten tribes of Israel. The Assyrian army had taken over and God allowed them to come in. And in chapter 29, we've gone from King Ahaz, the unbelieving king, to the rule of his son, Hezekiah. And he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And in Chronicles, it says that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Seeking to trust God and and to know his ways and to be obedient. But there are a range of issues that he has inherited from his father and things haven't seemed to have changed. And there is a self-reliant, self-righteous people under this enormous pressure from this war machine, you know, this juggernaut of the world, Assyria, led by King Sennacherib. Got it. I googled that a few times during the week. How do you say it? And just seven years earlier in chapter 28, he's taken the northern tribes of Israel, but Judah here still has its sovereignty. And so this morning as we come to Chapter 29. I want to consider three things. Consider three things as we look through the eyes of God. As we see things with God's eyes. And the first is that God is at work in his city here. God is at work in his city. And we'll see just what city that is. But I want to say also this morning and make the point that God is at work in his church. In chapter 28, the, the beginning of, uh, of the woes start. You'll see the beginning of, of those verses and through the chapters of 29 and 30, it's a woe starts, the, starts the, the words. A deep, sad, sorrowful expression of emotion for someone or something. And in chapter 28, the woe is for the people of Israel. Chapter 29, it's for the people of Judah. And it goes on to be the people that align themselves with Egypt. And this woe also plays the role of, of like a call, you know, a call to summons someone to, to the reality of their circumstances. We have a, uh, we have an Ari in this church now. Ari McCormack. I was hoping there might have been someone from the family here. I wanted to know how they came up with that name. If they know what the name means. You know what the name Ari means, anyone? Well, you're going to learn something today. Isn't that great? It means the Lion of God. And the one summoned here is Ariel. The city where David settled. So it's talking about Jerusalem. This Lion City of God. But you see, the prophet Isaiah would know, and we, we need to know this morning, that the Hebrew word for, for Ariel is actually a word that is 
said this sounds the same, but it has two meanings. It, it does mean the lion of God, but it also means an altar hearth, depending on its context. The altar hearth is in the place on the altar where the sacrifices are, are placed and they're burned. And afterwards, all you have at that place is just this ashes and, and there's nothing left. And Isaiah's play on words here is, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. This, 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 these uh, messages of war of, I will besiege you. You will mourn and lament and you'll be to me like an Ariel. An altar hearth. It's not a great picture for this city. That's what God is saying through his prophet. I will encamp against you. I will encircle you with towers. Set up my siege works against you. This is typical language of a fierce overthrowing of a city and it's God saying I'm going to do this through the Assyrian army and it's not a pretty picture for Jerusalem you will be like an altar house as we consider God at work in his city I want to pick up on two points the way that God goes about that. The first is that he's at work in his city by humbling his people and defeating their pride. You see in verse 4 he says, you will be brought low, you will speak from the ground, your speech will mumble out of the dust, your voice will come ghost-like from the earth, out of the dust your speech will whisper. There are the, the rebellious people who considered the word of God to be gibberish baby talk. And God said, if that's the way you treat my word, I will turn your word to mumbles out of dust. Your speech will be like a whisper from the dust of the ground. You know, in our arrogance and our, our pride and our self-righteousness, when they creep into the Christian life, and, and, and I don't just say this, I, I know from experience, when they creep into the Christian life and the Christian church and the leadership of church, it, it, it's not about if God will intervene and humble his people and show them the sin of their ways and the evil of their ways. It's when, when will God step in? How will he do it? God will step in. God will show us and humble us that we must desire a dependence on him. God is at work in his city and God is at work in our church. And when we need to be humbled and come to a place of repentance that can be painful, those circumstances that God allows at times, they sometimes hurt. And often our response could be to just keep pushing God away. 
But his desire is he would, that we would experience that and see our need to be a humble people who come before him looking to be rescued and saved and changed. And the second point, God at work in his city, is that he rescues by his power. It's not a great picture so far, is it? But then we come to verse 5. And I'm sure all translations, whatever you have, there's a three-letter word there, which is amazing. It's the word but. (laughs) I never thought I would use the movie Dumb and Dumber in a sermon context, but here we go. Dumb and Dumber was a movie that you might not know of. I think it's in the made in the 90s. Um, <clears throat> my father-in-law used to call my brother Tim and, and me Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I was dumb, like I'll cop that, but my brother was dumber, of course, he's younger. <clears throat> but we used to love that movie. We knew that movie off by heart. We could do that unscripted. Nonsense, isn't it? Mavis, you're shaking your head. Have you, you know Dumb and Dumber very well? No, no. <laughs> you wish it. <laughs> you can get it on Netflix probably. So here they are, these, these two clowns doing their thing in the 1984 sheepdog, uh, car, you know. And, and, and they're like the typical, you know, baddie who's on the side of the road and they're gonna, uh, they, you know, they don't pick up hitchhike as he says but here they are this bad and you're like don't let him into your car don't be so foolish and here they are driving along and they pull over and he says we don't usually pick up hitchhikers he goes but i'm gonna go with my instincts on this one get into the car you know and you're like you fool your instincts stink we like watching as a family Something a bit more relevant. We like watching a show called The Voice. I don't know if it's been on the last year or bit because of COVID and that. Uh, the Voice, and uh, they have uh, contestants. Each judge has their, you know, their own contestants, and they get to a final. Um, when the last few get down, and they have like two each, and they got it. The judge has to hear them both sing, and then he's got to pick one, and one gets like booted off the show. And I've learned that the, the language that they use as they, as they get to these last two and the judge sits there, whoever they start talking about first, they start saying, oh, you are amazing voice. You, so as soon as they start talking to that first person, you know they're gone. Because what they do is they, they talk about this person, how good they are and how well they sing and all the things that they go, but you know it's coming. But. I'm going to go with Josh this time. Sorry, you know, it's through the final. It's a powerful word, but... Got to straighten up here, talking about Dumb and Dumber. So this word, but, comes in, and it brings with it a, a sudden intervention as such, a supernatural miraculous intervention and suddenly God is at work the power of God is at work and the many enemies 
it says we will come like the dust. The size and the quantity of the Assyrian army is no match for the creator of the universe. The Lord is faithful. He will rescue and save his city by his unrivaled power, unimaginable power. And God destroyed the Assyrian army. 185,000. You can read about it in chapter 37 of Isaiah. Mercy on his people, not so much on the Assyrians. Not so great for Sennacherib, the leader and king of the Assyrian army who were encamped around Jerusalem, ready just to pounce. But God has got other ideas. Mercy on his people. Two full-packed MCG crowds of this army. It's no match. No match for God. Wasn't a difficult fight? Read about it, Isaiah 37. And while this is a, for us, we can, we can look at that and turn the few pages and, and go forward 10, 12 years, whatever it was from Isaiah 29 to 37, it's a historical lesson for us. Oh yeah, God is faithful. There he is. Yep, yep. He said it there, but yep, you're many and he was coming like dust. He does it. But for the people, in Isaiah 29, this is prophecy. This hasn't happened yet. Wasn't their reality yet? And here they are, the people of Judah, here they are, just going on. Verse 1, year by year, go on, your life goes on, festivals after festivals, doing the right thing, wearing the right clothes, saying the great things that sound so good. And the danger is that we can fall into such bad habits ourselves. Year by year, week by week. Services are attractive, the building's comfortable, the assets are building up, the money's plenty. We sound so good. God is not interested in our words. Essentially, first and foremost, in our hearts. The way that we think when no one is watching, the things that we do when no one is there to praise us. God is so disappointed, so disappointed if all we have are words from our lips. At the end of verse 5, we go from that but... And it says there, in an instant, God appears and everything changes. When we see with God's eyes, we we live in a way that says anything is possible. When we see people and circumstances and our church and our community in God's eyes, we see that he can intervene and work in an instant. Through healing, through freedom, through 
deliverance and strength and a change of attitude and salvation. After 400 years of of silence, no prophetic word from God to his people. After 400 years, God in flesh suddenly in an instant comes to earth. After all that silence and no prophetic word, in an instant John the Baptist declares, behold, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just a few years later, perhaps just a regular old afternoon at Golgotha, Calvary, three people hang on a cross, hanging there, dying. And in an instant, the price is paid for our sins. There is a way to be made right with God. To have a hope and certainty of eternity in his presence. God works in an instant. Aren't you glad that he can work in an instant? There is a time coming, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about an instant, a flash, a twinkling of an eye. And the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are still alive will be caught up with the Lord. In an instant, God is at work. People who see things from, from with God's eyes know that anything is possible in an instant. doesn't say that's the way God always works, but we must know that he can work in an instant. And we should be living our lives prepared for God to work and do amazing things at any time. And we don't need prophecies to tell us that. We have his living word that tells us God can do anything in an instant. And just as we look at the people of Judah, and we may think, why are they so complacent? Look what the prophet's telling them. Look what he's saying God will do. Why are they being so complacent and uh, spiritually blind and deaf? I mean, it's so obvious. Like, repent now. Look. I don't really need to make the point, do I? But the way that we live at times. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I spoke about that on Friday. Why do we at times sound good, look good? Well, you're not bad, Sam, but you know what I mean. But we're not living day to day with the hope and certainty of what is to come. Just like these people were not in the, they were in the reality of that this is what's promised, but it hasn't happened yet. 
So it is with the rapture. Spending eternity in his presence. Hasn't happened yet. But don't doubt it. Live with the hope and certainty of what is to come in an instant. A spiritual revival. Alan spoke a bit about that a few weeks ago on that Mission Sunday. I really liked the message. Spiritual revival for Montmorency could be just around the corner. A suburb where plenty of people are all of a sudden turning to God. It's not too difficult for God. Not at all. We shouldn't never stop praying for our family and friends and our community because in in an instant is how God can work and change people and bring them to salvation. God is at work in his city and in his church to humble us and to rescue us by his power. And secondly, God is at, at work by confronting spiritual poverty. The, the, the root problem for Judah wasn't the enormous Assyrian army. The root problem for Judah was that they were a rebellious people and they had hardened their hearts toward God. The real problem, we've already mentioned it, is in verse 13, that they come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship and honour of God, it's, it's fake, it's not real, it's not genuine. Their attitude and intentions are far from God. And so God has a, has a judgment for his people. That their wise counsel, those that everyone looked up to, their judges and their leaders, They would be blinded and made deaf to neither hear God's word, neither to see it, neither to read it. Staggering around like a drunk in their spiritual blindness and deafness. They would have no vision for the people, no truth to share. It's a book that they cannot open and if they can, they cannot read it, they can't understand it. It's meaningless. Their worship was fake. When we ignore God, there's consequences. When we ignore God, we will fall into sin. When we ignore God, we will find ourselves in all sorts of horrible circumstances. When we ignore his ways and his calling, we start listening to other messages. We start being directed and led by other things apart from God. And if the church turns its back on God, if we get caught up in our own hype and agendas and abilities and greatness and pride, the church too will show no vision that is honouring to the Lord. We'll become a self-righteous, self-centred community of created beings. That denomination I made up, it's the SRSCCCB. You don't know that one, Sam? 
self-righteous, self-centred community of created beings. Not the denomination you want to be involved with. They were supposedly doing good things on the outside, but their motivation was all about following rules taught by men to please those around them. And God knows our hearts and he sees every hidden thought, every hidden action. This morning we have sung the words, how great is our God. We've sung the words, lead me to the cross. Is that where we're at on a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Lord, lead me to the cross today. Come in humility. I need your forgiveness, your grace and mercy to go into today and know that I'm doing what you want me to do. Think the way you want me to think and be a light in the world and the community you've placed me in. These people refused the words of Isaiah. They, their pride was their, <clears throat> was what they were centered around. Their wisdom. They were so smart. Smarter than any chef you've ever met. Or computer programmer or teacher. You might know that Paul, remember the words Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the Jews want signs and the Greeks search for wisdom. But Paul says, I come preaching Christ crucified. The wisdom and power of God for salvation. You're not going to debate your way to salvation. You're not going to be so smart that you're going to come up with a new formula to reach God. The formula is simple. A simple man like me can understand it. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hmm. Verse 15 is that word woe. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? This is a masterpiece. Why are you laughing, Pat? This is my daughter's artwork. Why are you laughing, Pat? Mackenzie, talk to him afterwards, okay? We'll sort him out. I mean, if someone paid a million dollars for this, this would be worth a million dollars. <clears throat> People pay all sorts of things for art. Pay, pay all types of money for art. Stop laughing, Pat. <clears throat> this is very precious to Mackenzie. She made this, uh, didn't just take 10 minutes, as you can tell. Took quite a long time. Five weeks. This is uh, clay, Sam. It's also, uh, what do you think that is, Sam? It's a tea, of course it's a teapot, Sam. <laughs> it's an absolute ripper. <clears throat> it's uh, painted, different colours, took a long time, a lot of care. Uh, it had to be created in that shape. Uh, Mackenzie then had to leave it, had to dry. Does it go into a, what's those ovens they put clay in? 
A kiln. Might have gone into a kiln. Had to make that little hole in there to uh, so you can hold it. <clears throat> Imagine if this said to you, Mackenzie, all of a sudden this was mouth here and it started talking. I mean, that's just ridiculous anyway. But I said, I'm not a teapot. I'm a football. What would you know? You didn't make me. You're like, I spent five weeks on this thing. It's a bit crazy, isn't it? It's a bit silly. Our bodies, as much as this is incredible, all of a sudden Pat's agreeing with everything I say. As much as this is incredible, our bodies are phenomenal. As created beings. The way we function is amazing. The stupidity and the arrogance of the people here, but not just the people here of the human race, who ignore God and turn their back on God and say, I am, you, you don't know me. You don't understand what I'm going through. You didn't make me. Are our lives dependent on the grace of God? A desire to be humble? A life that is restored by his grace and mercy? Are we day by day coming to the Saviour, recognising our need for his grace? To be more like him? And when those hidden thoughts and those hidden actions are exposed and the God, our creator, wants to humble us, Is our response to say, yes, Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you for that reminder. I need a change. Help me, Lord, I pray. Change our ways. And and I'll I'll quickly finish now, the last point, that, that God is bringing about change. God brings about change. You'll note in verse 17 and 18, it uses the terms in a, in a short while. Uh, it says in a short time or in that day. And, and these are terms that are often used for the, for end times. Um, this morning we won't go into that. It, it, what day is it talking about? Uh, is it the days of the New Testament church? Is it the days of the millennial reign of Christ? Maybe one you can go home and, and study and look at and, uh, and we can discuss it. But what is important is that there will be change. That there will be worship that is not fake. And it will be genuine. And God will allow the deaf to hear. He will allow the blind to see. And in his mercy, the humble and the needy will rejoice. Note it's the humble and the needy. Not the rich and the proud. We're all tempted to place our trust in, in our own wisdom, our own discernment, our own experiences of business and <clears throat> relationships, materialistic things. But when we see through God's eyes, when we see through God's eyes, how does God want us to come to him?
with an attitude of humility and recognising our need for him. This is a change that God will bring about in us to turn and trust our God that in that place we will rejoice in him. Yeah, there's no future in the opposition of God and and right now in 2021, people can say whatever they want. People are free to mock God. God doesn't exist. He doesn't care. He doesn't created me. He's not the creator. There's God's for everyone. Whatever you want. Say whatever you want. But the ruthless, the liars, the selfish will disappear and will vanish. Those who have come to God by faith, through the works of his hands. will acknowledge him and stand in awe of God. And that's something that should be true of us today, in this life. And it will be true of us for those who are spending eternity in the very presence of God. And we want to experience something of that kingdom life here on earth. God can work miraculously and instantly in your life today, in this church, in this community. And when we see with God's eyes, there should be a response to live a life of humility, of service to our Lord. Bearing each other's burdens, building one another up, loving one another. We may find that there are soft hearts out there who are ready to be changed, who are ready to be saved. And we must never give up on praying and conversing and being mindful of our actions and our behaviours, that they express the holiness and character of our Lord. Let's give thanks. Father God, thank you for your word and its truth, and that you have not changed. Thank you for your desire that we may all come to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Thank you for your desire to come into our lives and to change the way that we live, change the way that we think. And Lord, thank you that you never give up on us. That you're a God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth. You forgive us our sins. We long for the day to spend eternity in your presence. But Lord, for now, give us the desire to be a humble people. Ah, people who recognise our need for the Saviour and for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives day by day. Lead us to the cross, Lord, not just on a Sunday, but every day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you very much. Have a great week. God bless you guys.